Tandem Investment Advisors present Tandem Talk, featuring John Carew, Billy Little, Ben Carew, and Jordan Watson, November 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Tandem Talk. This is the Tandem Investment Team. I'm John Carew. I'm joined by Billy Little. Billy, say hi so they hear your voice. Hello, everyone. Ben Carew. Hello. And Jordan Watson. How's it going? Doing great. So we haven't convened for one of these things since August, I think. A lot has happened in the world since then. We had a vaccine. We had an election. We had uh, a down September, a down October, a so far seemingly hot November. Um, what's on your minds, everybody? Who wants to, who, who's got something they want to get off their chest? You know, I think the biggest thing uh, so far in November, and we touched on this in observations, was the pent-up volatility and the pent-up um, volatility premium in the market going into the election. And now that I don't know if it's cleared up, Maybe the the market seems like it's cleared up a little bit um, as far as who might be leading us next year. Um, but we've got that behind us. We now have two vaccines. Um, and so things are becoming a little less frightened or people investors are becoming a little less frightened and fearful. Well, there's, there's more certainty now, right? Exactly. And, and then you're coming also into a season that is historically a uh, positive for the equity markets, um, the Santa Claus, Santa Claus <laughs> rally. So, so you're you're coming into a seasonally good time to be long of stocks, um, and you've got was that a Gartman reference? Long of units, <laughs> long of units of stocks. I'm sorry. You've also got a lot of what has been on investors' minds and forefront of their minds for six months, nine months now. Um, that is, is seemingly going away. So you've got this rebound in equities. And I think, as, as I mentioned in observations, it looks like you could see this run through to year end. So is there anything more, anything deeper than just more buyers than sellers to this market? I mean, I looked at earnings before we convened. S&P uh, at the start of the year was projected to earn $175. As of uh, today, the S&P is projected to earn $120 for 2020. That's slightly below where we were at the start of the year. That, that is a P.E. of 29 on the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. Earnings next year are forecast to be about 166 bucks. Good luck. Um, I'd love to see us get there. That implies a PE of 21.34. Interest rates are zero. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess the yield curve is steepened a little bit here with uh, the election results, I guess. But so, what is driving this year-end rally? It it can't be fundamentals, can it? Is it just more buyers than sellers? Is it no? It, is it a low price to stimulus ratio? <laughs> no, it is. Uh, as you mentioned, the 
the expectations for next year, they typically prove to be difficult and they typically, in, in most years, they, they start out high come to, and come down. Um, I think a better way of looking at next year is not so much to look at it from what we did this year, but look at it more comparing to the end of 2019. Now, if the vaccines actually are successful and we get back to some normalized life, you know, I think you can get back to where we were in 2019. So in 2019, we are at the 165, right? So, but what's the difference? The difference is we're 12, 13% higher in price. Right. Um, interest rates are, the 10 year is 100 basis points lower than what it was in, in 2019. So there, there might be a little bit of support there, but that is assuming a lot um, because it also assumes that margins will be, will be also similar to what they were in 2019. And what you've seen is you've seen companies, company margins are a little bit higher this quarter than they were in Q2 just because of the layoffs that they had, lower wages. But what you're also seeing is I think the cost structure of companies, that is the biggest, I think, question in my mind for next year is what margins end up doing. Because in, with margins, you've got producer prices that just recently were up six tenth of a percent month over month. It's higher than the five tenths that they were in September. So they're accelerating. Uh, consumer prices are coming down and you just saw in retail sales this morning. That disappointed and retail sales are decel decelerating. So you're not seeing, you're seeing input prices increase and you're not seeing demand on the other side. Well, that's not good for margins. That decreases. So I don't, again, a lot can happen between now and the end of next year, but I think the I think getting back to twenty nineteen will be quite the hurdle, and that's what we're that's what the market is expecting right now. Right. Just to sort of build off that, I think one thing, Billy, you really sort of teed up was how much certainty the market is pricing in now, and I think that if anything, the market has gone too far. I mean, with this vaccine stuff, I mean they're not even talking about the vaccine really rolling out to most Ameri to most Americans till basically next summer. And I think even then, it's not like there's enough vaccines to date to cover most Americans or anything like that. So there's been, I mean, the markets have jumped twice, two Mondays now on big vaccine news, but we still have to basically get through the winter. And you're seeing COVID starting to surge basically across the country, across the world. And you're already seeing other countries start to sh shut down. I think you'll s start to see some cities, you already are seeing some cities start to roll back some of their openings. And I think that there's a really good chance that this second series that we have to get through is going to leave a lot more permanent scarring than March did. You've already seen bankruptcies surpass 2009 totals. Uh, I know it's, it was a survey from the UK, but it's still relevant to what we're seeing here. 20% of small and medium-sized enterprises said that they couldn't survive a second shutdown. That's a huge number of companies that could go out of business. And so the market is basically taking this vaccine news and pricing it to perfection. And maybe we can thread that needle and we can get to the other side. It just seems like there's a big risk that the market isn't really considering right now. And I agree. I think that it's a huge risk and a huge a floor underneath the market that could open up 
at any given time. I mean, you had the Bank of America survey come out today is showing near all-time bullishness. Um, you have equity exposure at highs last seen in January of 2018. And I don't know if... if if you guys remember January 2018, that's where the market went up 7, 10% in a straight line in three weeks yeah. and fell 10% in the matter of three days. And we were all shocked at how quickly the market fell then. Well, that was just a little precursor to what we saw in March. <laughs> um, so we know that the moves have been exasperated. And, and so I, I can see that if the risks do materialize, it can open up underneath just because of the positioning that we've seen, the positioning through uh, the end of the year. And, and and my last point there is last time Bitcoin was at 17,000, <laughs> yeah. 18,000? December 2017 and January 2018. The stars are aligning. So right. let me push back on that for just a second. Um, some of this is tongue-in-cheek, but some of this has actually seemed to play out. To your point, Ben, about the number of companies that can't survive another four-week shutdown, those companies aren't in the S&P 500. And so it could actually be perceived as positive for the larger companies because their pain in the neck little competitors aren't gonna be around anymore. And then Billy, to your point about risk, not completely tongue in cheek, are markets allowed to go down anymore or at least to stay down anymore? I think they can go down. I don't think they can go down for any period of time. Right. And what you've seen, and I was, Ben and I were talking about this the other day, you've seen every successive drawdown in the market is faster and faster and faster and deeper and deeper and deeper. But um, and the response by the is Fed larger is and larger right. and larger. And faster. Exactly. So can it go down? Sure. But you don't have enough time. If, if you wanted to protect yourself, the market's already sold off before right. Before you can get out of something. So it's best to be able to be in a position of strength at that point and to quickly put money to work. So I just wanted to say, look, I've been living on Zoom these last few months doing lots of tandem presentations for our advisors out there. Um, and one of the things that we all highlight here about our methodology is the conviction to sell high and buy low. That necessarily means that you're going against the grain at or near inflection points in the market, right? You're selling when, when the masses are buying. Uh, I think we saw record inflows into the SPY recently as the market was hitting all-time highs. The temptation is to always buy high. We don't. We are net sellers traditionally. Um, when inflows into the market are at their greatest. And we are net buyers traditionally when outflows are at their greatest. So this is where I wanted to go with that. That's why we so often operate, I think, from a position of strength in the most turbulent times. We've seen unprecedented volatility in 2020. It created a lot of opportunities for us on the buy side in March and on the sell side throughout the summer. Now that you, Billy, are painting a more positive picture sort of year-end with uncertainties to be dealt with going forward, I would like to turn this conversation to our keeper of interesting nuggets, Jordan. What do you see in volatility generally 
and, and by the way, let me just, not to monopolize this conversation, but I just want to point out, we've been doing this for 30 years. I don't think I've ever seen annual volatility exceed 20, annual turnover in our portfolios exceed 20%. This year, we're at like 33 or 35% turnover. That's not us. We didn't, we didn't change what we were doing. We operated in the market that we were given, right? So Jordan, what is that shaping up to be here as we close out the year? Yeah, so what's interesting, and I was going to jump in on that point earlier, is uh, despite all of the certainty that we've seen the market price in that hitting all-time highs, we haven't really seen that reflected in the VIX. The VIX has yet to trade below 20 since it initially spiked back in February. And we knew that the election was going to be a volatility event. We saw the VIX trade up to 40 and quickly come back down once the future became a little more clear that in the rear view. And John, you touched on something earlier talking about this month being a record month of inflows for the SPY, which is interesting. I believe back in March, we saw record outflows. So retail tends to sell near the bottom and buy near the top. And I went backwards. And I went back (laughs) and I looked. And if you were trading solely off of headlines when the WHO announced COVID as a global pandemic on March 11th, you would have sold at 2700 and on Pfizer's vaccine news with BioNTech on the 9th you would have bought back in at 3550 on the S&P so you would have sold low and and bought high you know um <clears throat> I don't know if you guys read the tandem report it's the quarterly newsletter that that we write here have you guys seen no, that no no <laughs> so there was a piece called in commentary um that actually got some positive feedback um, shocking. Where we were talking about that, Jordan, about um, FOMO. Billy, you've written about FOMO numerous times in observations. I don't know if it's FOMO or if it's just the volatility making get letting our emotions get the best of us. I just see too often investors feeling like they're faced with some binary choice, right? In or out. And what you just said is fascinating. If you had gotten out on the uh, World Health Organization's proclamation, you would have sold at 2,700. Mm-hmm. And if you had gotten in on the vaccine news, you would have gotten back in at 34 and change. You would have sold out of 52-week low and I, bought yeah. 52-week high. Actually. It doesn't have to be so binary. It's It doesn't have to be on or off, in or out. I think the way we see it here, and Ben, I'd, I'd love to, if feel compelled. I think you have some interesting things to say about this topic. It's more about let's be a little more risk averse when things look too good to be true. They often are. And let's be a little more risk aggressive for if that's even an expression um, when things appear bleaker. And you can only do that if you proactively take money off the table when our signals tell us to and put it back to work when everybody else is selling to us. Ben, you had some interesting comments today about the expansion of uh, the deficit and the Federal Reserve's balance sheet and how, how all of that is, is sort of linked together. I don't know if that has anything to do with what Jordan was talking about, about the timing of flows, but yeah, I mean, I think that uh, one thing that we've seen that's really helped propel this market forward since March is 
the just amount of liquidity that the Federal Reserve has just pumped into the system. And it's, I mean, we have all used a lot of ink talking about <laughs> the Federal Reserve and, and our various columns. Um, but basically over the past decade or so, at any one point, they've owned 10 to 15% of all outstanding treasuries, marketable treasuries. Um, and right now they own close to a quarter of all treasuries in the marketplace. Uh, but what's really crazy is that compared today to 2010, and there's about 20 times the total issuance in terms of treasuries. And so you have just seen the Federal Reserve's role basically in that marketplace just absolutely explode. And now that we have a little bit more clarity politically, one thing that's sort of become more clear is that it's going to be hard to get a lot of fiscal policy through. And so that job's really going to fall back to the Federal Reserve once more. And so you will see the Federal Reserve really have to sort of prop everything up again if we go down that path. And they're already doing so much there. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this experiment, experiment of theirs just continues to play out from where we are now. But in addition to that, whether the Federal Reserve proactively continues to provide stimulus, they will anyway, because the deficit well, we don't continues have any to grow. Right. The deficit right. keeps right. expanding. And so if the Federal Reserve does nothing in theory, but continues to hold 25% of all outstanding debt, their balance sheet is going to continue to grow just to stay at 25% because our deficits, the more stimulus we pass, now apparently we're forgiving student debt. I mean, it's just a flood of new issuance, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. And they've already sort of said that they're not going to roll back the pace at which they're currently buying. And they're already buying, I think, $80, $85 billion worth of treasuries and and mortgage-backed securities a month. Um, And so if they don't even adjust those numbers, then they're already adding, what, a trillion dollars to their balance sheet over the next 12 months. That is keeping it at the same pace, not even talking about a growing deficit or anything like that. So I think the Federal Reserve will continue to be pumping liquidity into our system for whatever that is that is worth and whatever outcome that may, that you know, may come to. When I started in this business 35 years ago, I don't think the word trillion was ever even used. And now, Billy, I think you pointed out to me, or, or maybe it was you, Jordan, I don't remember. Sorry. Um, B of A estimates that there's been $20 trillion worth of Stimulus in one form or another since um, COVID shutdowns. A trillion here and a trillion there adds up. Well, I don't know if you remember in uh, 2008, end of September, when they were trying to pass, was it the first issuance of TARP, the $700 billion that couldn't pass the first time? Yeah, it was too much. And it was too much. I mean, 700, 700 billion. billion so they had to, <laughs> they had to, to vote on it again. And, and, but now we just $2 trillion, $3 trillion here. Among friends. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't even crisis legislation. We passed a $3 trillion stimulus package, right? Okay. Um, Anything more on the broad market before we sort of pivot here? I think one thing, Bill, you sort of touched on it earlier. You talked about uh, how B of A mentioned uh, record bullishness. And I saw that recently in their most recent fund manager survey. I think cash allocations were at five-year lows, which are typically a contrarian signal in their fund manager survey. Uh, so you're seeing record low cash, record inflows into equities, and you're seeing this monstrous month so far. And you sort of you sort of touched on it earlier, and I think that you're exactly right, and it's just worth driving home, is that what we've seen basically month to date 
is very similar to the start of 2018, where the market is just not just moving higher every day, but it is almost trucking higher on a daily basis. Um, and so that doesn't mean it has to come to the same end that we saw at the start of February. No, and it can keep but, on going this way until it doesn't. But there's definitely a get in at any cost mentality, it seems like, in the marketplace right now. You know, um, I think it it's worth saying that what? Why are you laughing? Did I say oh, no, something funny? No, 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 no. Okay. no. Screw that. No, no. What? No, I didn't have anything to say. <laughs> okay. No, I was just going to point out that um, markets don't correct or worse because they're expensive, right? I mean, expensive markets can get more expensive for as long as they want to. But what expensive markets are susceptible to is outside shocks, right? Uh, if the market's down 25% and we have catastrophic news, the market's reaction is going to be more muted than it would be if the market were up 100%, right? Do we all agree that absolutely yeah. bull markets don't end because they get too expensive? They end because they become more susceptible to outside things, right? God, there's so many more facets of this I'd like to talk about. I'd love to explore the yield curve and what the implications are there. But I think we ought to pivot here because as Billy, you wisely point out regularly in your observations column, we do not invest in the market, right? We have opinions of the market. Um, we've touched on many of those here. But that has little bearing on what we do. We are purchasing or scaling back or liquidating companies on their own merits. So let's drill down, if we can, into the portfolio, into the things that we might want to buy, the things that we have bought, the things that we hold, is anything topical? You guys are a lot closer to this than I am. You all sit on the trading desk regularly. Billy, not as regularly as you once did. And um, follow this, the you know, the nuts and bolts. So let's, let's hear some conversation about what's going on as it pertains to our portfolios. Our portfolio is, is held up quite well, all things, all things given, with four shutdowns and, and everything. We touched on it. I know I've touched on it. I think uh, Ben has touched on it in notes from the trading desk. But so far, uh, through third quarter, the through the third quarter, our companies have reported five percent sales growth year over year, fifteen percent earnings growth year over year. Um, that compares to the S and P sales being down one and a half percent and earnings being down seven percent. So, all things considered, our companies have done what we ask them to do, grow earnings, grow revenues, grow cash flow through any economic cycle. Um, and for the most part, if dividends are paid, grow the dividends. Um, Costco just yesterday announced a $10 special dividend. Uh, they do that. They do that regularly. But, but you know what the nice thing about, about it this time is they're paying it from existing cash and not levering up their uh, balance sheet and taking on debt to do it. Cool. So, um, and we've had uh, we've had nearly a third of our companies grow dividends or announce dividend increases uh, 
just in the past 30 to 60 days, and on average, close to 10%. So our portfolio, again, is doing, is doing exactly what we're, what we're looking and setting out for these, for these companies to do. Um, as far as what we're buying, selling, we haven't done all that much. Um, it, it really has been a, a fairly <laughs> lately. Lately, we yeah. did plenty of it. In we March, did, yeah, we? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did enough in, in, in March to to last a couple of years. Um, but thank you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> We're passing notes to each other, folks. <laughs> yes. So we have not done a whole lot lately. Um, we did a lot of profit taking in the summer. We did a whole lot of buying in the spring. The only thing we've done to note... Say that again. I want you to emphasize what you just said. We did a whole lot of selling when, a whole lot of buying when, because I think that's relevant to the listener. I can't tell you how many comments or questions I've had about, you guys must have been selling like crazy in March. Did we sell anything in March? We did not... I don't believe we sold anything in March. I think... I take that back. We might have sold Microsoft on March 31st. We sold but my, so Microsoft March 31st. But it had already bounced. It had bit. already recovered, right? Yeah. And we sold... And that wasn't a liquidation, by the way. That was just a trimming just of the yep. position. Correct. And we sold... We took some off the table in ResMed in March. Which never sold off. Which... Which sold hardly off, yeah, sold off exactly Sorry. exactly Who so, a sleep apnea device maker. Well, you benefit turn from the COVID. <laughs> you, t- you turn them into um, ventilators. Ventilators. <laughs> uh, so we did. You know, in, in the buying that we did in the spring, it was the most buying, most cash we've ever put to work in a two-week, three-week period ever. More than the financial crisis, um, ever. And so the amount of money that got put to work was significant and then as things got sorted out and and prices came back we did some selling we did take some profits we had some liquidations and then most recently we liquidated signature bank from the portfolio um for a few reasons the the most important one being you know it it has not it's a underperformed significantly over the past several several years but that's not why we liquidate something that's why we research something further um and in in this case it truly has become a very much a different company than than what we bought back in 2010 2011. Um, they have not expanded nearly as much as you know we once thought they would and get out of the new york region so they're very susceptible to the new york region but more so than anything they become the the number one uh, cryptocurrency custodian uh, of all banks, and I don't know if that was one of the reasons that we bought it in two thousand ten. <laughs> um, and so, you, clearly, their business has has pivoted to trying to get deposits from another source, um, and that's that's an that's a risk. That's an exposure. That's a very volatile deposit base. I would I would think so. I mean, they've, cryptocurrencies have come back considerably so deposits have gone uh way up but i imagine they can come out just as quickly right and and how does a bank know how to 
manage that risk. I think signature really drives home the point of of what we always tell people. We want our biggest mistake to be something that that we didn't do rather than something that we did do. And to us, signature just started taking on too much risk. And that's not where we want the portfolio to be positioned. I mean, cryptocurrencies doing something that they've never done before, that's risk that we can't even begin to quantify because it never shows up in anything that they've done historically. And all of a sudden, signature just sort of seemed like this this elephant in the room as a result of a lot of that. And I think we all feel more comfortable stripping that potential volatility out of the portfolio than ever just leaving it in there and hoping that it works out for the best for this company. It That's could be not, a great thing for the company. It, it, very it, might well be the, be. it might be the best thing for a bank, but um, but that's not what we do. It's not what we do, and and, and for that reason, uh, we've got to follow our discipline and and liquidate. Well said. Um, do we have anything else? Any thoughts? No, I don't have anything. Well, I received a question from a devoted listener, Ryan, in Miami, who wanted to know if we thought anybody could beat the Steelers this year. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Thanksgiving night, next Thursday. <laughs> Ravens will go into Heinz Field and beat them. I, I mean, they, I won't say... Just had to give I mean, the Steelers... I, they didn't win last game. Ravens gave it to them. <laughs> Gary right. Kurtz will appreciate that, too. Uh, all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, Gary's a big fan, isn't he? Um, well, before we sign off, um, I would like to thank Elaine Natoli, our Director of Communications, for this concept, for getting this together. I think this is fun for us to do. Um, I hope it's fun for you out there in uh, the audience, wherever you might be consuming this. Um, but Elaine, this was her brainchild, and she put this together for us. And Margie White is the voice that many of you hear. She does all of our uh, recorded versions of our various writings. She is the producer of this, and she will get to spend the next few days cleaning up our misspeaks and subtle digs and profanities and she's going to package this up into a nice product you can find it on our website or you can go to soundcloud.com and follow tandem there where everything that margie has recorded for us is archived Uh, again this is tandem's investment team we are jordan watson ben carew billy little and i'm john carew until next time thanks for listening Nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell. This writing is for informational purposes only. The information contained in this writing should not be construed as financial or investment advice on any subject matter. Tandem Investment Advisors Incorporated does not represent that the securities, products, or services discussed on or accessible through this site are suitable for any particular investor. You acknowledge that your requests for information are unsolicited and the provision of any information through this site shall not constitute or be considered investment advice or an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any product, service, or security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Indices are unmanaged and not available for direct investment. They are shown or referred to for illustrative purposes only and do not represent the performance of any specific investment. No data in this writing should be construed in any way as performance of any tandem investment product. 
For complete performance information and disclosures, please contact John Carew at jcarew at tandemadvisors.com. From time to time, Tandem may discuss select purchases and or sales within this report. All past portfolio purchases and sales are available upon request. Any portfolio transaction discussed here does not constitute advice or a recommendation. Please consult your financial advisor before making any investment decisions. For information regarding past purchases and sales, please contact John Carew at jcarew at tandemadvisors.com.